Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to uh, many of us, I I think are probably maybe here for the first time or or hanging out. Summer's an interesting time because uh, people are back home, people are transitioning, they're leaving school, they're going to school. And so I met some new people today. And so I want you to know uh, that that we are glad that you are here. Uh, I would would ask, I know what it's like to to be in a new spot and to look around a room and think, I don't know any of these people. I don't know if I like these people, but uh, I I promise you the people in here are good people. Uh, They're worth liking, they're worth knowing. And so I hope that you'll uh, take the moment to, to meet someone today maybe uh, uh, introduce yourself to someone or, or find a way to connect. Uh, I just want to invite you to, to do that because I like our people and you don't know me and can't trust me either, but I thought I'd just give them an endorsement no matter what. So uh, thanks for being here today. And as uh, we're talk, talking about uh, altars as we're starting this series, I wanted to uh, just, just ask a question today. Have you ever had a moment where you hear something and, and you know that, that your life will, will never be the same? Have you ever had a moment where you, you hear something and you think, you know what, going forward, this is going to change the way I, I think? I've had a, a couple of those moments in my life. One of them was uh, as, as my wife Kristen and I were, were praying and thinking about uh, starting a church and thinking about this west side of the city and thinking about Hilliard and wondering what God was stirring and doing in our hearts. Uh, I remember one, one morning I was listening to WNCI, which is very random, but uh, I, was, I was listening and they were reading news and they said uh, they're building a new third high school in, in Hilliard. And I had been talking to people and uh, looking at different things and they were saying, that's a side of the city that's exploding. That's a it's a side of the city where uh, there's a lot of new people, a lot of, lot of growth. Uh, there are not a lot of churches. The, the faith involvement is low. And, and uh, the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, the more I heard, the more I discovered. I, I, I knew that, that for the rest of my life, I would, I would think about Hilliard and I would think about this side of the city. And eventually I gave into those thoughts and we said, we need to be a part of the solution to that. We need to move to the west side. We need to move to Hilliard. And, and start a church. But I'll, I'll always remember that news brief on WNCI on one morning on the, the way to work. Another thing that I heard that will forever stick in my mind, some of you know that, that our family uh, loves adoption and we have adopted uh, a few of our children. And, and so as we were walking through that process and looking at all the paperwork and the fundraising and, and different things, uh, there, was a, there was a stat that we read that said only around 1% of, of, of couples who say adoption, yeah, that's a good thing, or yeah, I, I like that, or that's, yeah, that's, yeah, people should do that. Only, only around 1% of the couples that, 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 that look at adoption and say, hey, that's a good thing, I'm gonna do that, actually end up placing a, a child in their home. And and I remember as, as we were looking at that stat and thinking, wow, we, we want to be a part of that 1%. We want to be people who, who our hearts have been touched by adoption, our hearts have been marked and moved by adoption, and we want that to be something that we invest our life and our family and everything that God has given us into. Now, this morning is not me guilt-tripping you into listening to WNCI. It's not me guilt-tripping you into adopting, although that may come later in the summer, so just keep coming on Sundays, and we'll talk about those things, right? Uh, This morning is also not about you necessarily starting a church, although if you want to, the trainers are moving to Gehanna, and I would ask that you consider moving with them, right? Because we do love here and also care about there. This morning is not about any of those things, but I wanted to uh, uh, just kind of cue up and, and tell you one of the other things, one of the other phrases, one of those other moments where I heard a statement in my life that stuck with me where I thought I am never going to be the same because I'm always going to think about this and I'm always going to wonder about this. And so that's me setting the table and giving you the ultimate cliffhanger. I'm not going to tell you that statement yet, but we want to jump into this series altars and uh, ultimately discover uh, what one of those phrases is. We uh, were using this phrase 
As we, as we dive into altars, we've said at some intersections, the scenery changes. At others, we change. And many of you know that an altar is a place where a sacrifice is placed to honor someone or something. There are many examples all throughout Scripture and in the Bible where we see uh, altars being built and, and things being offered as sacrifice. There's two types of altars referenced in the Bible. The first is the altar of sacrifice, and another is an altar of remembrance. And so as altars were being built in Scripture, usually uh, those, those people were pausing and taking a moment to reflect, and often the examples that we see, they're looking at what God has done, and they're remembering that, and they're being excited about that. And so here's an example of an altar of sacrifice from Exodus 20. God says this. He says, build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered, and I will come to you and I will bless you. And so this is Exodus chapter 20 as God has just given out the the Ten Commandments. This is in this process. He has chosen the nation of Israel as his people. He's walking with them. He's journeying with them. He has a covenant with them. And they're kind of figuring out, here's what that relationship is going to look like. Here's how I'm going to give your nation blessing. Here's how I'm going to give you the best of myself. And here's what this is going to look like going going forward. And so God in this moment asked them to, to build an altar, to sacrifice to him and show their love and their commitment to him. Here's another Another example in Exodus 17 of an altar of remembrance. It, it says this, while the people were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites have the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. So again, probably just a typical week hanging out with your friends. You're attacking a neighboring nation and God says you need to hold up this this walking stick you've been carrying around. And as long as you hold up that walking stick, your army will prevail. And eventually his arm gets tired and his arm comes down and their, their army starts losing. And so God does this amazing thing where he he puts people around him, he sends his friends around him, they hold up his arm, they hold up this staff, and they prevail against their enemies. No, that's that's not a normal week at all, right? We, We probably don't do anything like that. And so God wanted them to remember this. And so God said, hey, build an altar. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mark this in your minds and your memories in history, and you're going to remember what God did for you this day. And so there are altars of sacrifice and altars of remembrance. And we're gonna discuss both of those concepts more and more in the coming weeks and kind of dive into this topic. But today, we wanna look at the life of of King Saul. He's gonna be our our case study as we look at altars. He's gonna be a case study in insecurity, kind of. But we wanna look at two defining moments in his life. And so I wanna invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, It's on page 220. If you've got one of the Bibles that's in front of you, behind you, under your seat there, would love for you to to turn to 1 Samuel 14. invite you to turn there. Maybe you've got the Bible on your iPad, on your phone. 1 Samuel 14. 
And we're going to look at uh, a few different things here. Eventually, we'll, we'll land in verse 35. But let me set the table for us here, give us some context to what is going on. We've already mentioned that the nation of Israel... They are God's chosen people, right? And God has been walking with them. He's brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He's, he's delivered them. He's, he's helped them through battles. He's given them a group of people named Judges in the book of Judges. That's right. They named it after that. And these people uh, would, would lead this nation in their, their army and in their pursuits. And, and God has walked with Israel. But Israel wasn't always content. And so they said, we want a king. We want a good-looking, tall, great king who's going to lead us. And so eventually God gives them uh, this man named Saul. But Saul is not the greatest king in the history of Israel. He, he honestly wasn't a guy who kept his eyes on God. And so his leadership was often compromised. Uh, his leadership and, and his life was, uh, was, was not really a life that had his eyes on God. He wasn't someone who was focused on God and saying, how can I honor God and do the things that God has asked me to do? And so uh, in this, this uh, chapter here, we, we see him in a feud with the Philistines. Uh, that's often the case. That's kind of, kind of like Ohio State, Michigan, right? The Israelites and the Philistines were always kind of not, not fans of each other. And, and so they're often clashing. And we see that happening all throughout the Old Testament. And so as they're in this feud, Saul has a chance to lead this army and to do what God has asked him to do and to do the right things and, and he's just kind of dropping the ball. There's, there's one point in this story in chapter 14, his, his son Jonathan, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, who was a great friend to David, famous David from David and Goliath who would later become king. Jonathan had a moment where nothing was happening and he didn't see anything happening and he just thought, you know what? I'm gonna go break into the edge of enemy territory. I'm gonna stir something up. I'm gonna start something. I'm gonna see if I can get some action going and we're gonna see if, I don't know, I just feel like God wants me to do something. And so Jonathan goes into enemy territory and and he basically just stirs up a, a riot and God uses that God uses this distraction, this diversion, him climbing a cliff and just causing a ruckus. And the Philistines kind of get excited. They end up turning on each other and they end up starting to, 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 to murder each other just in this great confusion that God has caused. And so Saul is looking at this and he's, he's, he's beginning to understand what God has done, how God has come through for him, even though he wasn't really doing what he should be doing. He's understanding that God has provided, God has, has made a way, and, and here's what it says. Even though Saul hasn't been the greatest leader, he's been making crazy rules and not leading his army and his guys. This is what 1 Samuel 14, 35 says as he's coming out of this process. We're looking at at his leadership, we're looking at the things that have taken place, and we're looking at the way that God has provided for him. And it says this, 1 Samuel 14, 35, after God has saved them and saved his family and saved their army, it says, then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first of the altars he built to the Lord. One verse, one selection, we, we've seen this. And, and so this guy has become the king of Israel. He has been blessed by God. God has led them. God has provided for them. God has protected. God has kept them safe and God has gone before them. And we see in some way Saul recognizing that. And, and as this has unfolded, this story, he thinks, you know what? I'm gonna build an altar. I'm gonna focus our people right now on, on what God has done. Maybe you've had a moment in your life where you feel like you were in this place mentally, where you were very aware of what God was doing in your life and in your heart. Maybe, maybe you were very aware of the things that God was unfolding in, in your presence, and you just thought, you know what, I just want to stop I want to be thankful. I want to pray to God. I want to remember this moment. And I want to say, Lord, you are good. You have my love. You have my devotion. You have my heart. 
and I'm not gonna forget this. So I like to think that in some way, maybe Saul was doing that, but let's keep moving to 1 Samuel 15 to the next chapter, and let's see what changes in his heart and in his life. It says this, one day Samuel, he's a kind of a spiritual advisor, said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Telaim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to town, to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent the warning to the Kenites, move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Verse 10 says this, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord has told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you the king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners of the Amalekites until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. I know that's a, that's a lot to take in, and you probably don't know anyone named Agag or anything like that, so some of those names can be a little tricky and throw us off, but what we've got here is Saul is leading the army of Israel. He's leading God's people, and God has said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to give you this land and this nation and this group of people, and I'm, I'm taking you and, and moving you and providing for you as I've promised, and I need you to, to do what I'm asking you to do. I need you to go and, and destroy everything that's there and 
not keep anything and take everything and, and kill everything. And I know some of you are thinking that sounds harsh, all right? But just, just follow the story, all right? For a second, they're, they're asked by God to go and, and just be obedient and do what he says. And you, you just heard the story, so I don't have to tell it to you again. But, but Saul went and said, all right, God asked me to do this. I'm going to do most of that. I'm going to do the part of that that's convenient to me. I'm going I'm to maybe keep some things that we find. You know, yeah, God said to kill everything and everyone, but these are some pretty nice animals. Maybe I'll sacrifice them to God later. Maybe I'll hang on to them. Maybe they'll be part of my empire, part of my riches, right? It'd be like if God told you to, to go into a bank vault and, and burn all of the money up, and you thought, well, that's a whole lot of money to burn up. So maybe Maybe I'll just keep a, a couple stacks of money for myself later, and I can, I can give it to a church or something. I'll do something really good with that money, so I'll just, I'll just hang on to it and hold it, right? They're, they're not doing what God asked, and so we see two examples there, and in just a few verses, Saul went from building an altar to honor God and honor what he had done and honor his presence in their nation and in his life and in his leadership and for protecting them and, and providing for them, and, and then we see this, this, uh, this small verse right here where Samuel is looking for him and they say, where's Saul? And it says, oh, he's, uh, he's building a monument to himself, right? I mean, it's, it's not just that he didn't listen to God. It's not just that he was ignoring what God has put in his life, but he's actually building a monument to himself. And so what can, we, what can we learn today as we talk about this concept of altars, as we talk about honoring what God has done and being obedient, remembering what God has done and I think we can just say this, that our lives, your life, my life can be an altar to God or a monument to self. We see that contrast. We see both of those things in the life of Saul. And in a matter of one chapter, in just a few verses, we see a complete paradigm shift where he goes from saying, I want to honor God to I'm so awesome, I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. Let's go build a monument that says how awesome I am. Now you're probably thinking, Mark, I wouldn't build a monument to myself. I don't have any stones like I saw in that video, and I don't really know what an altar is, but no one builds altars anymore. No, one's, no one builds monuments, right? We, we think of monuments in Washington, D.C., and, and you're like, I don't have any limestone or whatever. I wouldn't, I wouldn't build a monument, but maybe, maybe the monument that we're building is, is not really a, a monument, not a, not a brick-and-mortar monument. Maybe, maybe at times in our lives we're saying, man, I'm doing, I'm doing some awesome stuff. Graduated from school, got my master's, got my doctorate, I've built my career, I've saved this amount of money, I got this new house, I've got some great friends, I'm really doing some good stuff. Maybe, maybe the monuments that we're building to ourselves sometimes are, are more of a mental thing. Maybe, maybe it's more of a, a thing that, that, that makes our ego feel good. Maybe it's the way that we approach what God has done, but there are moments that we're accruing things. There are moments that we're taking credit for things. There are moments that as God blesses us, we're not recognizing his blessing. We're saying, man, I'm doing good stuff right now. I'm doing really good stuff. Bank accounts up, retirements up, sales are up, accounts are up, everything's up. I'm doing good stuff. And in our lives, we can, we can build an altar to God. We can remember what God has done or we can build a monument to ourselves. And I think as we look at this example from Saul's life, we can kind of see some of the things that, that may have changed in just a few chapters. Some of the things that Samuel said are some of the things that changed in his heart. So how can you and I guard against letting things go to our head? How can we guard against letting things be something that, that feed our ego? How can we make sure that we're building altars to God instead of monuments to self? Well, here are some signs that you're building 
a monument to yourself, when you have selective hearing. Now, some of you husbands in the room are like, wow, my wife just told me this week that I have selective hearing. This is crazy that that God is talking about this. It might be a different thing. It might be the same thing, right? Sometimes we hear that in our house too. But uh, when you have selective hearing, maybe you're, you're on a mission to build a monument to yourself, right? Sometimes God says very clearly what he wants us to do. Scripture tells us that if you've given your life to Jesus, if you are found in Jesus, if you are a Christ follower, that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is inside of you. He is illuminating things to you. He is revealing scripture to you as you read it. He's meeting you in your times of prayer. And he's saying, I want you to do this. And I wanna wanna point this out to you because I want this to be sensitive on your heart. I wanna guide your actions and guide your thoughts. And sometimes we ignore those, those thoughts. We ignore those, those actions, right? We say, yeah, God, you told me to do this. You told me that I should help that person out financially, and yeah, you blessed me with a big bonus now, but I also have an opportunity to buy a boat, so I'm gonna maybe just give them a, a little piece of that, right? Or maybe God says, hey, this person in your neighborhood is struggling. Yeah, I know I should go over and talk to them, but I've got some vacation days coming up, and I really need to build a retaining wall at my house, so priorities Right? There are moments that we have selective hearing and we say, yes, God has led me to do that. Yes, God has asked me to do that. Yes, God's been impressing that on my heart. And yes, he's been saying that over and over and over again. And I'm going to kind of hear it. I'm going to do a, a small piece of that. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be better than, than most people. I'm going to do really kind of basically what he's asked me to do. A sign that, that we're building a monument to ourselves, or that we're making our life a monument to ourselves, is when we have selective hearing and we're beginning to block out the things that God is saying to us. And some of you are like, God doesn't speak to me, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest. I, I was telling someone this week, they said, uh, they said, do you ever feel guilty as you're preparing for a message? And I was like, yes, every week. That's called the Holy Spirit, right? One of the ways that, that I am guilty of practicing selective hearing is by not meeting God every day, by by not spending time in prayer and not spending time in his word, right? So some of you are thinking, it's not like God's talking to me and I'm not ignoring him. Well, if you know that God wants to meet you through his word and you know that he wants wants you to spend time with him and wants to speak to you and wants to talk to you and wants wants to speak things into your life and you say, I've got other stuff to do. That's a version of selective hearing. That's a version of saying, I've got something that's more important today. I'm, I'm deciding that I'm not going to hear from God because he's only gonna ask me to do something else. He's only gonna say something that makes me feel bad about what I've been doing, and so I'll just ignore him and not hear him altogether. Sometimes the way that we practice selective hearing is by not spending time with God at all, by not talking to God at all, by not meeting God in our devotions by not having a time where we we pause our own thoughts and our own life and we say, God, what do you want to say to me? Sometimes we just say, God, I'm going to keep going and and I'm going to hear what I want to hear. Another way that sometimes we're we're building a monument to ourselves in in our lives is when we do what's right in our own eyes. We see that here in this example from Saul. I don't think that he was probably thinking, oh, this is a terrible idea. In fact, another way we can do this is, is uh, sometimes we deceive ourselves. When you deceive yourself, you're building a monument to self. And so sometimes, just out of the gate, we think, you know what? This is a good idea for me. Sometimes we have to lie to ourselves over and over and over again because God has told us, hey, 
Here's what I want you to do with your money. Here's what I want you to do with your time. Here's what I want you to do with your energy. And, and we know that God has asked us to talk to that couple that's in our, in our neighborhood. We know that God wants us to spend time with that couple whose marriage has been struggling. We know that God wants us to go on a double date with them and talk to them and process with them. But we just think, oh man, there's so many other things I want to do. And so we start deceiving ourselves and, and changing our own opinion and our own attitude over time. We say, we need, a, we need a vacation right now, and there's nothing wrong with a vacation. But then we say, yes, a vacation would be a great idea right now. You, you need to get away. You need time for yourself. You need to unwind. You deserve this. You need to treat yourself right now. You need to get away. You don't have time for other people. You need to, you need to take care of your family and take care of your own mental health. And sometimes, over time, we, we speak things into our own lives and our own heart and our own mind and we deceive ourselves. We talk ourselves out of being obedient to God. We talk ourselves into doing what we want to do. And we talk ourselves into doing the things that are convenient for us. So how can you know when you're building a monument to yourself, when you're practicing selective hearing, when you're doing what's right in your own eyes, and, and maybe when you're even having to talk yourself into the thing that you wanna do? One small lie built upon one small lie until you eventually believe it, and you want to do what you want to do. Yeah, it's against what scripture has told you to do. Yeah, you know that God has called you to, to honor him with your finances, but you need to save for retirement. You need to save for that vacation. You, you know what God has called you to do. You know what God has spoken to your life, but, but this is good too. You've been thinking about it, worrying about it, really, really focusing on it. Sometimes we have selective hearing. Sometimes we lie to ourselves Sometimes we do what's right in our own eyes. Another thing that we can see in the life of Saul is, and, and honestly something that, that can be a sign that we're building a monument to ourselves, is when you're living in, just in disobedience and in rebellion. We see that in the life of Saul, right? I mean, this example is pretty obvious. This, he's, he's the number one ruler. He's the king. He's the authority. He's everything for this nation, this country. God says, do this. And Saul says, I'm gonna do this, right? Some of these other things we've talked about Sometimes we have selective hearing, and that's hard to define because it's like, well, did you really hear that? Did God really say that? Sometimes we're saying, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. And there's a little overlap in what God is asking us to do, but there are other times that we're just living in disobedience. God says, do this, and you know that this is right. You know that he's called you to do this. You know that every time you stop and think and pray and spend time in his word, he has asked you to do this and yet you do this other thing. It's pretty obvious in the life of Saul. He was living in rebellion. He was living in disobedience. He was doing the opposite of what God has asked him to do. And we're not gonna point people out today, and I don't know what's going on in your life and heart, and you don't maybe know what's going on in my life and heart, but there are moments that you and I do the opposite of what God has asked us to do. There are moments that we are very clearly living in disobedience to God. We know how God wants us to treat our spouse, and we treat our spouse another way. We know what God wants us to do with our finances, and we treat our finances the complete opposite way. We know where God has asked us to go or what he's asked us to do in ministry. We know what he's asked us to do with our time and our influence and the platform he's given us and our career and all of the things that we have, and we do something else. And when you spend time in God's word, you're convicted of it. And when you spend time praying, you're very conscious of it. And when you talk to your friends, 
that God is wanting to use to speak into your life, they're saying one thing and you're doing another. And maybe you're at a spot where people have said, hey, I don't wanna be involved and I don't wanna be mean, I don't wanna be confrontational, but I need to let you know that what I think you're doing right now is not smart. I need to let you know that what you're doing right now, I think you're being disobedient to God. I think you're going against his word and I think what you're doing right now is, is a mistake. And yet some of us keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. Maybe you can look back on a, a phase in your life and say, yep, there was definitely a time in my life that, that I was disobedient, that I was running from God, that I was ignoring God, that I was doing the exact opposite of what God wanted me to do. There's a time in my life that I had selective hearing because I knew I was doing the exact opposite of what God wanted me to do. There was a time in my life that I was living in disobedience, living in rebellion, and yeah, I even had to kind of give myself pep talks every day and talk myself into sin and convince myself that this was okay. Yeah, there... There's a time in my life that that definitely happened. And maybe that time is, is right now. Maybe, maybe that season is right now where you could say, yeah, if my, if my life is supposed to glorify God, if my life is supposed to remember what God has done, if my life is supposed to honor what God has done, I don't know if my life does that. In fact, I think right now maybe my life is honoring me. I think maybe right now my life is, is about me. I think my life is celebrating me. My life is a monument to me. Well, I told you that I would mention a passage that, that really messes with me, and you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read you a, a quick couple of verses from Matthew 5. This is a, a famous passage where Jesus was talking at the beginning of his earthly ministry, and he was basically defining and saying, this is, this is in, a, in some small snippets, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to live your life for me. This is what it looks like to honor me with your life. And he says this in Matthew 5, 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, this is the part that, that still gets me, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus goes through a few different examples there, and, and he's basically saying this is what the life of a Christian, a Christ follower, should look like. People, people should look at your life, and it should make the impact that salt made in the world back then. We know that salt would add flavor to meat. Salt would preserve meat, and so salt was a big deal back then. It's not glamorous, but it's probably like electricity or refrigeration now. It makes the world go round for many of us every day in every way, right? And so God was saying your impact and your influence should be like that of salt in the world. And he's also saying the, the way that people look at you and the, the impact that you make when you walk into a room should be like light. People know if they're in darkness or if they're in light. And if there's light in the room, light is making a difference. And if we didn't understand those examples, he goes on to say this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. And so he's saying, if you are a Christ follower, if you have given your life to Jesus, people should be able to look at your life. They should be able to look at your deeds, look at your actions, look at the way that you conduct yourself, look at the way that you function, look at your marriage, look at your career, look at your relationships, look at your work ethic and all of the things that take place in your life and all of the things that define you. And they should be able to look at that and take a snapshot and say, glory to God. They should be able to look at your life and see the presence of God in your life. 
and your deeds and your actions and the things that you do shouldn't point to you. When you get that amazing sale, when you get that new account, when you start that business, when you get that degree, when you get that bonus, when you have another child, when you buy a home, whatever you're doing, your actions should not say, hey, they've really got it together. Maybe not even, hey, that church has a good thing going over there. Your actions should point straight to God and people should look at the things that you're doing and say, wow, wow, God, look at what you're doing, wow. I've read that verse a lot, but it it took someone pointing it out to me and saying that, and they asked this question. They said, "If if your life is an altar, if your life is a platform, do your deeds glorify you or God? There's a lot of things that you and I do in our lives, right? A lot, of, a lot of opportunities that we have to do things and to accomplish stuff. Do those things and do that, does that stuff, does it say glory to God? Does it focus people on me? Or does it focus people on him? Now you can see why that thought messed with me. I mean, think about the things that you accomplish or that you do in any given day, any given week, any fiscal year, any calendar year. Think of the things that you're accomplishing. Think of the goals that you have. Think of all the ways that the outside world is looking at you and watching you and the opportunity that you have. The things that we do should be saying glory to God. The things that we do should be saying, look at God. The things that we accomplish should be saying, please, please, Just see God. And yet we reject that opportunity. We have an opportunity to build an altar and just say, God, I want to remember what you've done. God, I want to to make a sacrifice and just pause and, and thank you for what you've done. And yet we take those moments and we say, this is about me. This is about what I've done. This is about what I'm building. And I'm doing pretty good. God's pretty lucky to have me on his team. We have an opportunity to build an altar to God with our lives, not a monument to ourselves. And so I want to just ask, do your, do your deeds, do your actions, does your marriage, your relationships, your career, your influence, do those things glorify God? Do they point people to God? Not just are you being better than the other people you work with, not just are, are you wearing your WWJD bracelet, does your life point people to God? Does your life glorify God? And if not, what needs to change? What needs to change in your actions, in your character, in your heart, in your execution, in your to-do list? What needs to change so that the things you're doing will glorify God and only God? What needs to change?